grab a glass and tell us a story. It's Bucks and Booze. In this episode, I'm going to be going back and discussing my 2015 and 2016 seasons. Arguably the two best seasons I've ever had deer hunting. And while I do that, I'm going to enjoy a bit of Buffalo Trace bourbon. So we'll get a pour. Let's start with 2015. Uh, That year, I was lucky enough on opening day to take a great 10-point buck. And, of course, shooting a deer on opening day is always awesome. You get to enjoy the season. You get to enjoy the guys at camp uh, while having your deer there. We're able to use some of it for for dinner at camp. Uh, so I was flying high. It was it was great. In Michigan, uh, we typically get the combo tag, so you're allowed to take two bucks. The first one has to have at least three points on a side. The second has to have at least four points on one side. So I went back to hunting uh, after celebrating for a couple of days. And at that point, strictly looking for a trophy. Earlier in the season, my nephew, Will, had gotten a couple of pictures, nighttime pictures, uh, at his stand, which is oh, about three quarters of a mile away from where I hunt, uh, of a very unique buck. And the pictures were a little, little blurry and the angle that the picture was taken of the buck, we just couldn't quite tell what was going on, but you could tell that there was something different about the rack on that deer. So he had gotten those pictures early in the season, um, September, somewhere in there, I think before we could even start bow hunting. And then that deer just disappeared and we never had any more photos of it. And then one time during bow season, I had gotten one picture of of that same deer uh, at my stand, at my bow stand. And again, it wasn't clear exactly what was going on. We could tell that it was a good deer, an older deer, but we couldn't tell exactly uh, what it had for uh, antlers on its head. So after, after the opener, continued to hunt, and we got some snow. And I was I was sitting in my blind, and this great deer walks in, and everything was just perfect. The deer walked in front of me, and I was able to to make a good shot on the deer. It disappeared over a little crest right in front of my blind. I was super excited, went down, and when I arrived, I couldn't believe what I saw. So on the it, it was it's a great deer over 200 pounds very mature buck the left the left antler side is a, a mainframe four it had a little tiny bump where it was seemed like there was a chance it was going to try and grow a bit of a drop tine on the bottom of the main beam and then on the top there's a fifth point that started but didn't quite make it uh, to one inch in order to be counted as a legal point. So technically, the left side is a mainframe four point. 
it's the right side that I was so surprised by. And at first, my mind couldn't quite wrap wrap around what I was looking at uh, because it's a mainframe. It has a mainframe four on on the right side that comes out, but then there's a extra main beam that sticks out. So it's got three main beams, one on the left, two on the right, and that extra main beam on the right-hand side is 13 inches long. And the base on that right-hand side at its thickest point is seven inches in diameter. So it's, for, for our deer, it's massive on the bottom. That extra main beam comes out it looks like a like a unicorn blade that sticks out. It's just a spectacular deer. My daughters have named all of the shoulder mounts that I have in the house. This one, I have no idea why, but its name is Perry. So much to the chagrin of my wife, I had Perry shoulder mounted um, by Dieter Cocken. Uh, phenomenal taxidermist if you're looking for somebody to do some work for you. He does an awesome job. He's a great guy, friend, and hunter, and hope to have him on the program here one of these days. But in any case, this amazing once-in-a-lifetime or so I thought deer uh, with with this extra main beam. I'm going to post a couple of pictures on all my social media accounts for Bucks and Booze. If you look up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, look for Bucks and Booze, you can find an account on all of those platforms. So I'll put some pictures up of Perry and so you can get a look at uh, what, that, what that rack looks like if you have a chance. Uh, but it was a great, it was a great hunt and um, like I said, a deer of a lifetime for me. Or so I thought. Because now along comes... Uh, 2016 and once again we had a lot of deer that year around um, very excited to start the season and was lucky enough on the third day of season to take an eight-pointer that year uh, again a nice buck nice big-bodied eight-pointer uh, once again just happy to you know happy happy to have meat in the freezer and happy to have taken this great deer and again opportunity to enjoy all the guys at camp and maybe sleep in a couple mornings and take it a little bit easy once again hunting for a trophy uh, again this this season of 2016 we had some snow on the ground once again it was a couple days later a bunch of the guys were still at camp and in walks uh Another great matured buck uh, at the time. It was uh, right down a little knoll in front of me, kind of off to my right. Just like the previous year, everything set up perfectly for me. And this buck walks in. I made the shot, hit it, hit it great. The deer spun on a dime and took three hard steps on a sprint and went head first, bam, right into a tree. And I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, and, and then expired right there. So it went 15 feet, plowed into a tree, and then dropped over. Uh, 
So I went down to to inspect this deer, and lo and behold, it was like the mirror image of the deer I had taken the year before. This time, the right side had five points on it, and the left-hand side had a main beam with four points on it, and then an extra main beam that stuck out, this time on the left. So the deer in 2015 had two main beams on the right. This deer in 2016, two main beams on the left. can only speculate that there had to be some kind of genetic connection there, brothers or father-son or some some connection because they're so similar uh, in their design. The unfortunate part about the 2016 deer that I shot was when it ran into that tree, it went headfirst and it snapped off that third main beam, that extra main beam on the left-hand side. And although I was super excited to get this deer, I was also disappointed that this that this uh, extra antler was gone, and I didn't know. I looked around everywhere I could could at the time, and was totally unable to find that that extra piece of bone. And so went and got some of the guys to help me, and we of course were excited and celebrated this great deer. Um, but the whole time we're wondering, where is this, where is this piece that snapped off? What happened to this extra main beam? And finally kind of speculated that maybe it had gotten in a fight and had lost it because it was nowhere to be found. And like many times in our area, that particular year, we, in the middle of deer season, got a warm spell and the snow that we had on the ground mostly melted, and I went back out to just kind of tidy up things at my deer stand and sort of check things for the end of the year because I was no longer hunting. And as I was walking by the tree that it ran into, there was the extra main beam laying on the ground. So super happy when I saw it and found it. So I was able to, to glue that back on to get the, the rack back intact to the way it was. And it turns out that that extra main beam on the left-hand side of the deer actually had two points on it and that one the base was seven and a half inches thick again a deer over 200 pounds so back to back years 2015 and 16 i was able to take two extra uh, main beam bucks uh, both great mature deer both really incredible racks um, certainly going back to back years is a once in a lifetime kind of thing that's going to happen. Like I said, I'll put some pictures up of both both of those bucks on the social media sites so you can take a look and actually see what they look like. So in thinking back on those two years and trying to piece together some of why was it so successful, uh, what was going on, why were these deer around, um, because the, the second year in 2016, we had no idea that that buck existed. We had never seen it, had no idea that it was around. But both of those years, I had lots of does, lots of fawns, lots of deer um, coming in and out and being around. And I really think that it has so much to do with the food plots and with trying to provide those deer 
with some nutrition and trying to hold and keep the does and the fawns around and then they bring in those bucks in listening and to other podcasts to people who do this for a living and know a whole lot more about it than me i hear so much talk about about cover and about water sources and these other components that are super important for bucks and for deer to exist but in our country there's so much cover so much water available uh, so much of the other things that are needed for deer to to live successfully that i really think the the least component that they have is food uh, food sources and so when you can provide some of those things through food plots i think you just you increase your odds so much and like many of the many of the hunters that i know that are much better at this than i am have said in the past if you can keep the does you'll get the bucks and that's i think what happened in those two years is we had we had good years for growing i had planted both of those years and i think that that was the key that was the the key factor that got those deer um, into a place where I could have a crack at them and, and see them. Our, our country is extraordinarily rocky. There's very little soil. So growing food plots is even more difficult than in most places. Um, there, there's, no, there's no tilling. There's no turning ground over. There's none of that going to happen because there just isn't enough. You have a small layer of topsoil if you're lucky to try and grow something in and I've tried it all um, in my food plots brassicas winter wheat rye beets I've tried everything um, I had a little bit of success a few times growing some winter wheat but by far hands down the most successful th uh, food that we've been able to to have grow for us is clover and so that's the thing that we use most often in our food plots and it, it seems to work well you're also helping out the rough grouse you're helping out other animals um, that are that are living in the same space but especially for the deer and once i think that you end up getting those does and fawns used to coming in and they're and they're more comfortable and they're around more often and then when we hit the rut during during rifle season um, the bucks are on the run looking for the does. So if you have the does, you have the bucks. I've also recently, uh, my brother had told me about um, looking into these chestnut trees. And there's a couple of producers for chestnut trees that come out of, out of Illinois, out of the Golden Triangle. And so I had not really heard too much about chestnut trees, hasn't, hadn't looked into them at all in the past. But I've been doing some research and I'm pretty excited about going down this path as well. In the past, I've tried to plant some apple trees without much luck. We do have apple trees that grow in our area. They, they seem to be hardy enough. Uh, I just haven't had much luck. And it seems like for whatever reason that the deer actually target those immature apple trees, both for they eat the leaves off of them in the spring and they end up 
using me as rubbing posts for some reason. Um, it just seems like every time I plant an apple tree, the deer actually destroy it. So starting to do some research on these chestnut trees, uh, finding out that at one point in the eastern part of the United States, there were more chestnut trees than apple trees. They were super prevalent. And then in the late 1800s, some chestnut trees are brought in from Japan, and along with it, a chestnut blight, and it almost completely obliterated the chestnut trees in the eastern part of the United States. And so over the past, oh, 50, 70 years, there's been a, a slow resurgence of people looking at chestnut trees, trying to bring them back, trying to uh, create some more of these chestnut tree orchards. Many of the articles I've been reading, the the experts are saying that hands down, the chestnut chestnuts are the most desirable kind of of tree fruit or nut that you can have for deer. They're two percent fat, five to eight percent protein, forty percent carbohydrates. Um, that's ten times the protein that can be found in an acorn. And so when given a choice, the deer will just flock to them. Also, chestnuts have very little tannin in them, uh, unlike acorns that have lots of tannin, and that's where you get the bitter taste from. So they're, they're not as bitter uh, of a nut as an a, uh, acorn is. So they're also more desirable to eat that way. So I've, I've got some chestnuts right now that I'm trying to get to sprout. And I'm going to be trying to plant some uh, some chestnuts out in our on our property and see if we can get those going. Like I said, the clover's been good for us. The deer really like it. It's a great attractant. It's a great source of food for them. But it's also hard to maintain. You have to continuously replant. And and again, there's no tilling. There's no um, being able to work the soil. So all of that becomes a more difficult problem trying to scratch scratch up the soil a little bit to get that clover in there and get it to go um, is a bit of a chore on our property and uh, on, in the Keweenaw Peninsula in general. And so trying to get some of these trees growing that will produce this year after year, I think um, I'm pretty excited about it. It would be great to have an orchard that was there for, for my grandsons and as they get into this hunting and as they grow up so just a plug for for food plots and and trying to be a good manager of the land that we have uh, as far as the deer go and uh, not only just for shooting bucks during deer season but also for just trying to help maintain a healthy population um, if it wasn't for the sportsmen's clubs and the and the individuals who are putting all this effort into helping um, feed the deer in the winter and and keep them going, we just we wouldn't have it. Without some help, the the deer population in the Keweenaw Peninsula would be very very minimal. So we all need to do our part to keep that going. As far as the choice today for our booze. The Buffalo Trace Bourbon is uh, absolutely one of my favorite. 
uh, one of our good friends and uh, and a hunting buddy, Paulo from Chicago, had told me at one point, he said, if you're ever going to go on the Bourbon Trail, the one place that you have to make sure you go is to Buffalo Trace. And at that time, I had not heard about the distillery and had had never been to any distilleries uh, in the Bourbon in the Bourbon region. So my wife and I were driving south to Florida and had a couple extra days and we were kind of bumming around a little bit. We were driving through Kentucky and she said, hey, we should go see a distillery. And I said, well, Paulo told me that if we're going to go see one, the one you have to go to is Buffalo Trace. And so we did. And cheers to you, Paulo. Thanks for the tip because it is absolutely fabulous. And if you get a chance to go to Buffalo Trace Distillery, I highly recommend it. It's uh, it's a great tour. Incredible amount of history there. The grounds were founded in 1775. They've been distilling alcohol on that on that piece of ground ever since. Uh, they have an amazing lineup of product that they make, including their signature Buffalo Trace bourbon that I'm enjoying today. Um, but at the end of the tour, they give you some samples of some of their products. They have a gift shop and some things you can do. The history is phenomenal. The tour is great. Um, the name comes from when they first, the settlers first got to that area. There, there were literally roads that they followed where the buffalo would walk and the herds of buffalo would just trample down uh, these would be roads because there were so many buffalo and that was called a trace so the the buffalo runways just like we look for deer runways today uh is called a it's called a trace and so therefore their name buffalo trace so tremendous product super smooth it's great um you can always count on it being perfect so highly recommend the buffalo trace and even more so, again, if you have a chance to stop and check out their their operation in Kentucky, super worth it. Super fun uh, little adventure to go on, and you learn so much about it. There's quite a few uh, documentaries and so and so forth, uh, small programs that you can find online on YouTube and some of the streaming platforms that talk about that history. Again, another thing that I think is, is totally worth it. Um, there's one that my wife and I watched this winter. It's called Neat, the History of Bourbon. Uh, great program, some great personal stories about, about you know what it means to drink bourbon, how it impacts their economy, and it's more than just uh, having a cocktail. It's about slowing down, enjoying it, sitting with friends and having a conversation and just kind of putting the brakes on our busy lives that we have. So again, couldn't endorse any higher Buffalo Trace bourbon and their distillery. So cheers once again. We'll see you again soon on another edition of Bucks and Booze.